You are listening to the Reality Steve podcast with your host, Reality Steve. He's got all the latest info and behind the scenes juice on Rachel and Gabby's season of The Bachelorette and interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. Now, here's Reality Steve. What's up, everybody? Welcome to podcast number 304. I'm your host, Reality Steve. Thank you all for tuning in. Good show for you today. We're talking Big Brother with Big Brother live feed recapper, Taryn Armstrong. He's on the podcast for the first time, and it's a great conversation if you are a Big Brother watcher. We will get to that momentarily. All right, so you know I have a daily roundup, and usually... On Thursdays, the Daily Roundup obviously goes up two hours earlier than this podcast. And this podcast in my open, I kind of hit on some of the things that I talked about in the Daily Roundup. However, today's Daily Roundup was probably one of the biggest ones I've done because two major stories that broke yesterday, Eric's ex-girlfriend released some text messages. And I ended up getting on the phone with her last night because I wanted a timeline of this whole thing. And also, I've got an exclusive on the Rachel and Tino breakup and what is the reasoning behind that. So rather than repeat myself on this podcast, what I'm going to do is take out that 15 to 20 minutes from the podcast where I talk about those two subjects and just cutting and pasting it here in a, in a few moments. And that'll lead into the conversation with Taryn because I just don't feel like repeating myself. It is almost 3:20 in the morning now, central time. Yes, I know I'm a procrastinator, but, um, I wanted you to to hear it in case you didn't listen to the daily podcast. So um, without any further ado, this is the excerpt from my earlier podcast, which was the daily roundup that was released a couple hours ago where I talk about the Eric ex-girlfriend conversation I had last night and more on the Tino and Rachel breakup. So here it is. So yesterday Instagram account, Bachelor Nation Scoop, Bachelor Scoop, sorry, posted text messages <clears throat> from a woman claiming to be Eric's ex-girlfriend, and I'm not going to read the text messages out loud on the podcast because just go to Bachelor Nation Scoop and see it. I will um, include... It For people that are just reading, it will be included on my website today. But essentially what this woman said was dating Eric pre-show. And he spent a lot of time with her, told her he was just going on the show for fun, basically just helping his career. He had just been let go of his job and sent her flowers right before he left. And then ever since he got back, the only message she ever received from him looked to be from uh, the morning of the premiere back in July where he was just telling her essentially, well, I'll read that message because I think that was probably the most important one. But on the morning of July 10th, for her, you know, it was basically maybe the night before July 10th, the show premiered on July 11th. She got this text on July 10th at 1123 PM. I'm so sorry. 
What I did was terrible. I don't expect you to ever forgive me. I just want you to know I think about you all the time, and you really deserve the best. I won't ever forgive myself, and I hope you find happiness and everything you deserve. That's what he sent to her. So everyone was sending this to me yesterday, and it was the first I had seen of this. Obviously, I'd heard all season about an ex-girlfriend from Eric that was going to come forward, but they never had, and there wasn't any proof of anything. So it's just like, okay, we'll just wait till something happens. Well, yesterday it happened, and... um this person was emailing with Bachelor Nation Scoop. Bachelor Nation Scoop put it on, I guess, their subscription service first, but now it's on their regular account, and you can see it. It's the most recent post. And, um, <clears throat> you know, everyone's asking me, is it true? Is it legit? I'm just like, I don't know. I'm seeing this for the first time. I mean, it looks legit, but uh, you know me. I'm not going to run with anything or, or, or believe anything until I get to the bottom of it and you know, talk to the person involved. And I was told who uh, the woman was, messaged her on DM on Instagram. She responded right back. I just said, hey, I just got a couple questions. I've seen the texts. I appreciate what you did. Um, just want to just wanna go over some timeline stuff. And <clears throat> when we first got on, and I called her because I didn't want to do this over a message, so I t- spoke to her on the phone. And what we did was, um, immediately off the bat, I said, do you want me to use your name? Do you care? And she originally, when she was messaging with Bachelor Nation Scoop, she never had her name out there, nor was her face attached to any of the pictures. She just didn't want it to be a part of it, but she wanted her story out there. When I asked her, first thing on the phone and when we right before we hung up, she's like, you can use it um, <clears throat> because... She goes, so many people are messaging me. I think it got put out uh, in the comment section of Bachelor Nation Scoop's Instagram feed post. So her name is Amanda Kaler, K-A-Y-L-O-R, and that is her Instagram name, at Amanda Kaler. So you can clearly see who she is, unless she has said it to private in the last 12 hours since we spoke, or eight hours, whatever it is. But um, Amanda... So I just called her because I wanted to know the timeline because there was a couple things in there that was just like, I just need to know a few things. What's the story behind you guys? And here's the breakdown. They met in January of 2022, January of this year, and they met on Hinge. Uh, uh, Eric's living in Santa Monica, and they hit it off and started dating. And essentially what she told me was, look, I understand it was only a two and a half month relationship, but it was very fast. Um, you'll see if Amanda hasn't gone private, you'll see that she has a son who I believe is two and a half. Um, and Eric spent multiple days with her son. She said the fir- she said the week leading up to him to the last time she saw him, he spent the whole week with her and her son. And she said they spent every single day of March together before he left. He stayed at her place a lot. And you'll see in the text messages that on March 10th, Eric sent her a message that said, um, no oh crap. I should have had this pulled up. Ugh. Okay. Yeah. Um, I got it. On March 10th, he pulled up, uh, he, he texted her and said, I got some news this morning that I need to talk to you about. And then she said, what? And that message was sent 
around nine o'clock in the morning. At three o'clock in the afternoon, her the next thing that was written in that text conversation was not sure how you expected me to feel, but if that's your decision, best of luck. So essentially what I wanted to do was find out, was that the first time he brought it up to you? And her answer was yes. So on March 10th, the first time Eric ever brings up the fact that he's going to be on The Bachelorette is less than two weeks before he leaves for the show. Mind you, they had been seeing each other exclusively, at least in her eyes, from January, and he had spent numerous days with her and her son. And at that point, that was the first time she heard about The Bachelorette, which means that while he was developing a relationship with this woman, he was obviously in touch with production, interviewing with production, probably going to final casting weekend, and never told her until he found out that he was going to do the show or he had agreed to do the show. He had never brought it up until March 10th on that text when he said that. And it's rather interesting um, because she said he was at her house with her son all that week leading up to when he told her. And I think the other thing was he had sent her roses He sent her two dozen white roses the day before he left, the two days before he left for filming. He said, I'll never stop thinking of you. And on the 12th, two days after he told her that, she told him, like, no, basically when Eric told her over the phone that this was going to happen, he expected her to be cool with it. And she told him on the 12th, two days later, I'm not this is not something I'm going to be cool with. I'm not going to wait here and essentially told him we're done. Then from the 12th until when he left, which I believe was, I don't know, the 21st, because I had to go back and look at the date on March 23rd is when the bachelor at Facebook account released all the men for the season, the possible men that were going to be on Gabby and Rachel season. And that was the first we knew that Eric Schwer was a possible contestant on the season was March 23rd, Wednesday, Filming started that Saturday, the 26th. She messaged him on the 22nd because he had said, well, he had messaged her on the 22nd, said, we, can we talk when I get back to L.A.? And she responded, and it went green. She responded on the 23rd, and that's where it basically went green. And she said, yeah, we can. Just let me know when you are back. He said, can we talk when I am back in L.A.? I needed to go home for a little bit to be with my parents. He sent that on the 22nd. Her message on the 23rd was, yeah, we can. Just let me know when you are back. But that turned message turned green because on the 23rd, clearly they got their phones taken away because that was the day that the profiles went up. So I don't know what he was talking about other than can we talk when I get back to L.A.? I don't know if he was talking about when I get back to L.A. from filming the show or when I get back to L.A. from with my parents. So he get, he goes and fills with the show. She doesn't hear from him, obviously. He gets back, you know, sometime mid-May after filming is over. Doesn't hear from him. And then on July 11th, he sent the text of, so sorry, Amanda, what I did was terrible. I don't expect you to ever forgive me. 
Just want you to know I think about you all the time and you really deserve the best. I want to forgive myself and hope find happiness and everything you deserve. Now I asked her about this text. I said, is this is the last, this is the only time you've heard from him since he left for filming, since he sent that text saying, can I talk to you when I get back from LA? And she said, yes. I said, okay. So that text doesn't seem to be like, I want you back, even though he said, I think about you all the time. Probably not the smartest thing to say. But I said, that sounds like manipulation on his part where he just doesn't want you to go to the press with this. Because if he wanted Amanda and he was trying to get with Amanda, he would have hit her up more than once in a text since he got back from filming in May. He has sent one thing to her, which was this text on July 11th. And you can tell now it seems like the goal of that text was to basically say, hey, please don't say anything without him directly saying that. So, I mean, once again, just shady behavior. Like, I know that there there are already people out there that are going after Amanda. Amanda did, and I told her this last night, and I'll say it publicly. She did nothing wrong here. She has every right to tell her story. Were they an exclusive, you know, monogamous relationship? I don't know exactly what they labeled it. They they weren't boyfriend-girlfriend. They weren't together really long enough. Did he say, I love you? No. But why is that the standard that we are setting here? I love how people are already saying, if she's not his girlfriend, why why are we giving her the time of day? He didn't tell you he loves you. Get over it. Why, why do women hate women so much? <laughs> I don't get it. You guys love to shit on women who have something to say about somebody on this show. Eric is the winner of The Bachelorette. If he was a first or second night guy or third row ceremony guy, this wouldn't be a story. She knows this. But when he literally manipulated her and said this, and who knows what the what's going on in terms of Eric and Gabby, which I don't know for sure right now, because I don't know if he gave her a heads up on this. I don't know if when this broke today, yesterday, if he had already given Gabby a heads up, I don't. I have no idea. I have no idea what's going on with Eric and Gabby as of this moment, Thursday, September 15th. The last I had heard before all this broke was they were together. They were still together. Um, but to shit all over Amanda for telling her story, like, you put yourself in Amanda's position. It's so easy for a woman on the outside to look at this and say, oh, she just wants attention. Oh, she's just looking for clout. Oh, get over it. No, it doesn't work that way. She has every right to tell her story here. And she's done absolutely nothing wrong. And if I were Gabby, I think I'd want to know this. The guy just seems shady. We've already gotten this giant red flag of his blackface photo from his high school yearbook. And now this? What Does she need this? Gabby's about to start Dancing with the Stars. She's going to gain even more popularity. Does she really need to bend over backwards for Eric Schwer at this point? Look, it's her life. She can do whatever she wants. I have no idea what's going on. But I'm telling you, I, this is this is almost just too much. Why does she want to deal with this? And I applauded Amanda for coming forward. I told her, like, look, there's going to be people that find fault in what you said and are not going to take you seriously. 
and say, get over it. And if Eric speaks out about this before Tuesday on the after the final rose, if he starts to diminish their relationship, I think it's going to make him look bad. Just because she wasn't your quote-unquote girlfriend, just because he didn't tell her he loved her, I'm sorry, but he's spending hours and days with her son. That's kind of a big deal. And it's just another case of why can't men in this franchise be honest with women? You know, have your fuck buddies before the show. There's plenty of guys in this franchise that have. But be clear about it. The amount of things that she told me in terms of what Eric said. So if Eric tries to diminish the relationship, if and when he does address this, he probably shouldn't because she's got the receipts to show that while Eric in his mind can easily say after the fact, oh, it was just, you know, we were just dating. It's like, okay, but then why did you say and do the things you did? Again, a guy that, you know, for me, actions always speak louder than words. And Eric actually had some actions here. It wasn't just text messages he was sending her. When you send a woman flowers right before you leave and you say you'll be thinking about her and I can't, I'll never stop thinking of you, as a woman, how do you think that makes her feel? Wow, this guy must really be into me. So you can't just throw it on her and be like, oh, she misread the situation. Well, look at the signals that you gave her. So I know people out there are going to shit on her because, oh, the relationship started in January. Get over it. I'm sorry, but yes, while it did start in January on Hinge, that's a lot of time they spent together. And I tell you what, Eric and Amanda spent way more time together than Eric and Gabby did. And he spent way more time with her son than he spent with Gabby. She said he was with her at her place for a whole week leading up to leaving for the uh, leading up to the last time they spoke when he brought this up on March 10th. Oh, by the way, I have something to tell you. Like he just springs it on her like, and then expects her to be cool with it. And she basically said, no, I'm not cool with it, and ended things. So you're like, oh, great, Steve, you went on the show single. Okay, but <laughs> if you're just going to continue to try and find things and poke holes in her story, I'm sorry. There are no holes in the story. Everything is real. So... I think it's just shitty behavior. Again, I don't know why he couldn't have just been honest. It's a bad, bad look. And I'm really curious to see what the end result is here. Maybe I'll find out before Tuesday. Maybe I won't. But considering I was able to get the Nate story out there and it was addressed at the After the Final Rose, I would be shocked if Jesse doesn't bring this up at at After the Final Rose now. Or the, the Nate stuff that was brought up at Men Tell All. I got to be shocked if Jesse doesn't bring this up that after the funnel rose, this is a big deal. This has got to be something that Eric and Gabby are talking about in their relationship. There's no way they can't. I, 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 you can't turn a blind eye to this. It's kind of a big deal when he's saying this and doing this to women. Now, did he talk to her ever since he got off the show? No. Outside of one text on July 10th, no. There was nothing. It's not like he's been trying to get with her. But I'd say that's a pretty big deal to spend that much time with someone before the show, say all the things that he did, spend the time with his with her son that he did, say he wants to be with her, and then just pull this? I just, man, why can't these guys be better? Why are you doing that, man? So that's the story with Amanda. And... um you, if you want to see the text that he sent her in the times that they were together, along with the pictures that they 
took, the numerous pictures they took together, just go to Bachelor Nation Scoop on, on their Instagram feed and you'll see it there. And that's the Eric and Amanda story. So we're 20 minutes in and haven't even gotten to the Tino and Rachel stuff. And um, we'll get to that right now. As you know, Tino and Rachel broke up. I said I didn't know the reasoning for it other than I was told that there was a lull in their relationship. At some point, they stopped talking. And I was hearing it was kind of a Ross and Rachel situation, like they were on a break, but I didn't know what that necessarily meant. I do now. And this is stuff you'll hear on Monday night, or sorry, Tuesday night, when they sit down on the After the Final Rose. Um, I don't know what led to not talking, but I think I have an idea based on kind of something that I heard. Essentially, Rachel told Tino that when she moves to L.A., she wants to give the ring back, and they she just wanted to date him. And that didn't sit well with Tino. Which, I'm guessing if you're an engaged man, and the woman that you proposed to said this, and said, you know, when I get to L.A., I, I want to give the ring back, and I just want to date, you'd be like, wait, what? <laughs> and apparently that's what happened. Well, it's not apparently. That is what happened. And, however, what that led to was not talking between them, a lot of awkwardness between them, and during that time, you know, there's been rumors, uh, cheating rumors, let me explain. When you hear cheating rumors, you assume that uh, Tino slept with somebody. That's not what happened. What happened was Tino kissed a woman during that time where Rachel had told him that, and then there was a time where just there was a lot of awkwardness going on. And Tino kissed another girl. And it was somebody, I, I don't think it was an ex-girlfriend. This girl, I don't know who it is. All I know is, as the digging that I tried to do, she doesn't want to come forward and talk about it. She wants no part of this story, which is understandable. But um, Tino came forward and told Rachel about this kiss. And this kiss is what the argument is about in the previews. And at this point, the impression that I get is Tino is sorry for what happened. He's regretting what he did, but he understands Rachel wanting to end the relationship because of it. And that's essentially what happened. Um, He told her about it. While I guess she appreciated the honesty, it was like, you know, obviously some trust was lost there. And um, uh, and I think Tino feels he should have told her right away. And he waited. And by waiting, it got worse. And then when he did tol- tell her, it was like, wait, why didn't you tell me this earlier? So that's what it is. Like, I know that you, people want a, a juicy cheating scandal. And this is a cheating scandal. Um, but I, I think from everything that I've gathered, it's been a shit storm. And when Tino was told by Rachel that she wanted to give the ring back when she moved to LA and just date him, he didn't put up uh, a fight at that point because he felt if he, 
kind of confronted her on that, that he would lose her. And it would kind of basically lead to a breakup. And instead, he lashed out behind her back and got close to another woman and kissed her. And, you know, I guess there will be a debate about, oh, my God, it's just one kiss. Get over it, Rachel. But it's Rachel's feelings. Rachel wants to break up with him because that's what he did. She has every right to. He broke her trust. And I think he knows that. But that's what I say when I say the other day that I didn't I hear they're, they're not they're done. They're not getting back together. Um, I think if Tino had his way, he probably would want to get back together. If Rachel would have him back, I think he would um, get back with her. But it sounds like Rachel is over it and she's done. <laughs> and her and her body language on Tuesday night certainly backed that up. But that's the gist of it is that I think that was the one thing where I was just like, wait, why did they get to this point where they were not talking? Well, apparently it got awkward after she told him she wanted to give the ring back and just date. So it'll be really interesting, uh, just like it's going to be interesting to have Eric on that couch with Gabby on Tuesday. It's going to be really interesting with Rachel and Tino on that couch on Tuesday as well, because everything I just told you, you're going to hear. Like this isn't hearsay. This isn't like I'm guessing or I think this might be it. This is this is what happened, and it sucks. You know, stupid of him to do that, regardless of where they were. Like we were on a break. Well, <laughs> you know, uh, didn't Ross didn't Ross sleep with somebody when he was on a break with uh, Rachel and friends? He actually had sex with somebody. You can't do that. You got to get to the bottom of where your relationship is at before you move on and do anything stupid. And unfortunately, Tino did. And he while he had while he got out in front of it and admitted it to her, it didn't go over well. And Rachel just my my sense is she just lost trust in the guy because that's what he did during their relationship as still an engaged couple at the time, even though they weren't talking, things were awkward, whatever the case may be, not an excuse. And I think Tino knows that now, but that's what we're going to see come Tuesday night. So if it wasn't juicy enough for you, sorry, but it's a lot to take in and maybe I'll hear even more stuff before Tuesday. I would Probably think not unless I hear about the status of Eric and Gabby. But until then, this is going to be one hell of a finale on Tuesday night. That's for sure. Okay. I hope you enjoyed that. Um, There was a lot there, I know. But it was good. And um, I know it's a lot to take in. But uh, before we get started with Taryn... Let me tell you about two new sponsors we have for the podcast this week. First off, Athletic Greens. They came to me, and I started taking them every day because this is something to where, like I said, I'm trying to focus a little bit more on my health. And for me, the big thing with me and supplements and you know, vitamins and stuff like that. It all comes down to taste for me. If it, if I lose the taste, I lose interest. With Athletic Greens, I've been on it for a month now. They sent it to me, and it doesn't taste like it's super healthy. It has that kind of mild tropical taste to it. I actually look forward um, 
to having it. And so basically with one delicious scoop of AG1, you are absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food sourced ingredients, probiotics, and aptogens to help you start your day right. A special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, your recovery, focus, and aging, all those things. Like, it's amazing how much it costs. It contains less than one gram of sugar, no GMOs, no nasty chemicals, or artificial anything, while still tasting good. It supports better sleep quality and recovery, supports mental clarity and alertness. It's one of the best things. You don't have to go out and buy all these different supplements. It's all rolled into one. So right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop in a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements, like I said, to look out for your health. It's one scoop in a cup of water every day. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash realitysteve. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash realitysteve to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. The other new sponsor we have this week, this week <laughs> I already started talking about it before I complete the sentence, is First Leaf Wines. I know a lot of you out there drink wine. You probably drink wine while you listen to me talk. Probably helps it go by quicker for you. But yeah, I mean, who doesn't like drinking wine when listening to the Reality Steve podcast? I know I do. First Leaf makes it simple to discover new wines that you'll love. They'll learn your taste, then deliver to quality wines right, wines right to your door. Here's what happens. Forget driving to the wine shop. Forget going, going by the label. Forget overspending on bottles. You don't like. You don't want that. With First Leaf... You rate each wine you receive with a simple thumbs up or a thumbs down. Then their experts will send you personalized selections with new and exciting bottles in every box. In fact, First Leaf can recommend wines you'll love with 96% accuracy. As your tastes evolve, so will the wines that you receive. And if you're not completely satisfied with a bottle, First Leaf will credit you with another. That is wine made simple. Sign up today and you'll get your first six bottles for $39.95 plus free shipping. All right? Go to tryfirstleaf.com slash realitysteve. That's T-R-Y-F-I-R-S-T-L-E-A-F dot com slash realitysteve to get your first six bottles for $39.95 plus free shipping. Tryfirstleaf.com slash realitysteve. And as you know, if you forget some of these labels or you forget some of these sponsors, all you got to do is go to the episode description in Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You will see it in there. There's actually a link to Athletic Greens and First Leaf in those descriptions, and it brings you right to the landing page of where you need to go in case you're driving right now and you forgot or you don't have time to write it down. All you got to do is go to the description page on Apple Podcasts to get it. So please check that out, both Athletic Greens and First Leaf, two new sponsors for the podcast. Without any further ado, let's get going. Here we go. Podcast number 304. Okay, uh, let's bring him in. He is a podcaster. He is a Big Brother live feed recapper uh, for Rob Has a Podcast. He covers Survivor as well. He's also on Twitch. First time on the pod, it is Taryn Armstrong. Taryn, how are you? I'm great. Uh, happy to be on here. Um, I wanted to bring you on because you are a Big, bro big Brother buff, shall we say, and I always mm -hmm. like talking to people who know way more about this show than I do because I feel like I learn more 
as I've told my listeners, I told you pre-show, I've only been a follower of this show since season 21, which is critically panned as one of the worst shows ever or worst seasons ever. Um, I have watched all the, uh, the celebrity ones, and I believe the first celebrity one aired before season 21. So technically, I guess the first season I watched was the first celebrity one. But mm. once I got to season 21, I realized, okay, what this, what this is more all about because I knew the celebrity one was shorter and that was always my thing i just didn't want to watch because it just seemed like such a so time consuming and three times a week and a couple two hour shows here and there i'm just like i've already got enough with the bachelor on my bachelorette on my plate during the summer but i decided to do it because i knew holly watching season 21 and here we are now and i've watched every episode of every season since and um (laughs) I find the show very interesting. I love any show, and I, and I love Survivor. We'll get into that later, but I love any show where you have to vote people out who eventually have a say in whether you win or not. I find that fascinating. So I like – that's why I ended up liking this show. And um, so I want to start off with this. You're more dialed into the fan base and the, the daily goings-on on this show. What has been the overall vibe from the fans about season 24 of Big Brother? Is it liked? Is it middle of the pack? Is it one of the worst ones? Where are we at? It's been a really interesting one because I think that there are a lot of people that would say they hate it. Uh, A lot of people would say I love it. Um, And a lot of people would say, "Ah, I don't know. It's just uh, there's too many people that I don't like on it. Um, Mm -hmm. I think it's a really mixed season in terms of like the excitement level, uh, in terms of like the engagement this season i think it's been one of the highest levels of engagement i've seen in a few years uh people have been really really uh involved in the season like day to day because there's always something new that's happening the players never really stop uh so in that sense it's been a very good one um in some other senses like when the season started and there was all this ugliness toward taylor uh, people were like very down on it, but then when the leftovers formed, it was like, oh wow, like the uh, the Renaissance uh, era of Taylor. Uh, people were like, oh, this is amazing. Um, and then and then it kind of went back down with Kyle, and so it's been up and down. And I think people, I think people don't really know what to think of it at, at, at this time. I think that uh, they're still kind of waiting to to judge it when everything comes to a stop. Yeah, I think the finding out when we do find out the winner of this thing, I think will determine people's, I guess, level of whether or not they like the season or not. If they end up liking the winner, now I know this is and this is a this is a really interesting thing with me, and I've I've talked to some people in the past about it, and everyone seems to like it, but just want to get your thoughts on someone who covers the live feeds. Do you think it's a good idea for a program like this? to have live feeds because as you know, I've only started since season 21 and from what I've gathered and hearing stuff, you know, what happens in the live feeds rarely gets shown and then not addressed on the CBS show. This season, definitely accept an exception with the, you know, the Kyle stuff making it to air the, I guess the Taylor bullying at the early part of the season really didn't make it to air. It was discussed, but what things were, what things that were being said about her never made it to air. So, What is your thoughts on this essentially almost being two different shows, like what the live feeds you get from that versus what CBS can cover in, you know, three one hour episodes, three days a week? 
I mean, I think it's fascinating. Uh, it's one of the reasons why I like the show. If the show didn't have live feeds, I I don't think it's, this certainly would not be my profession. Like, mm-hmm. uh, I, like uh, I, maybe I would have kept watching the show, um, but I would not have been in love with it in the way that I that I was growing up and that I still am uh, now. Um, it's it's so interesting to see the real time like what's happening how do people play this game what are they like and how does the how do the editors decide to portray the events of what's going on and um and i you know oftentimes or, or sometimes uh there's a lot of anger toward how things are portrayed because people feel like uh it's not being portrayed accurately or it's being portrayed unfairly and i think that's such a contrast to most shows like this where you might get a contestant or two saying, Hey, I was edited poorly or this situation wasn't edited right. Or, um, you know, there was this thing that they ignored and maybe there's like a portion of the fan base. that's like, Oh yeah, it seems like maybe there was more to this than we know. Um, but it's, it's such a different experience to actually see it play out in front of you and then watch it not happen in the TV show. Um, and, there's just there's something that's really raw about that and the fact that we still get the live feeds is is really interesting too because i think that the live feeds are the secret ingredient to big brother um they released a an article recently or a stat recently that uh that big brother had more streaming hours than stranger things season four um and uh and that was in large part due to the fact that they are you know having live feeds being streamed 24 seven uh, or watched, watched streaming hours, I should say. Uh, and to the, due to the fact that they, you know, have a lot more episodes, but, um, but like uh, I, it's, I think a big driver in, uh, in what makes the show successful and makes the show have such a loyal fan base that's constantly engaging on social media. Um, and so I think it's this weird double-edged sword for them where, uh, on one hand, they're not allowed to just completely run with whatever narrative they want because people see mostly the truth when they watch the live feeds. But on the other hand, it's really what makes the show work and it was, it's what makes the show as successful as it is. Um, and uh, and, and, and I, I'm always curious to know from the producer's end like how they feel about the live feeds because uh, that's something I don't really know. So when you when you talk about that, do you know a breakdown of what percentage of this show's viewers are, they don't have to be diehards, but at least are following along, whether either watching the videos or reading recaps of what happens on the live feeds? Is there ever been a, a study or some sort of percentage given out by the show of who watches the show and do they follow the live feeds in some form? It's something I'm I'm always curious about, uh, but but no, I don't really have a good idea of of how many people are tuned into the live feeds. Um, it, it's you know because I we really don't even know like uh, like the the ratings the Nielsen ratings for like a TV show aren't even really that representative of the actual number right of the people who actually watch the show. Yeah. Um, you know I know that there's certainly enough of an economy surrounding the live feeds for there to be uh, like my job, which is to, to report on them. Right. So, uh, so there's clearly a lot of people that do um, pay attention. I would say, uh, you know, even just looking at like some of the bigger Twitter accounts, 
that uh, post live feed updates. Um, you know, somebody like uh, like uh, BB Daily on Twitter, I think has what like three hundred thousand, uh, four hundred that over four hundred thousand followers hmm. just uh, for that one live feed update account, right? Uh, so that's that's a lot of people who are following and, and tuning into at least those tweets for uh, for the live feeds. Um, so I would say there's definitely uh, a, a pretty significant amount of people that are interested. They might not all have like the subscription for the live feeds, but a lot of people are interested in what's happening on the live feeds, even if they're not watching themselves. As someone like yourself who watches the live feeds, covers the live feeds, has it been frustrating for you in the past when events are either ignored or the full story isn't told or a narrative favors one person when what really went on behind the scenes actually should have favored another person? Like, what has been your relationship with how the show has portrayed certain angles in the past versus how they didn't portray certain angles? It, yeah, it, it definitely gets frustrating. Um Especially because, you know, it, my job is to is to take the episode and say, OK, here's what they portrayed. But here's, you know, here's what happened, uh, according to how I saw it, at least on the live feed. Mm. And um, and so, you know, in that in that regard, like at least at least those feeds are there and we can always sort of talk about that. But especially when there are more complicated issues being spoken about that's when it really gets more frustrating for me because uh, for, for example, like the cookout last season, um, you know, I I'm on a podcast every day, kind of like trying to explain how the people in the cookout have talked about their mission and what the purpose of the Alliance is. Um, but I can say it every single day uh, until it airs on an episode there are going to be countless people who aren't hearing that message, even from me. They'll, I'll, I'll get questions every single day about like, I don't understand why this isn't uh, racist or yeah. like, I don't understand what the purpose of this is. And it's like, I like, I, like my voice isn't loud enough to, to reach those people, at least in terms of like, and not that not saying that even if they heard it, they would understand it. But like, uh, like until the episode started really, Ex- explaining what that was, uh, it was just endless questions. And it, it's a similar thing with what happened with Kyle this season where, um, you know, you can try to explain like, okay, so here's why people are upset at Kyle. Um, here's why people in the house are upset at Kyle. Um, and it wasn't until the episodes aired the situation uh, to, to, to their fullest that um, that people stopped at least asking me the question as much about like, so I don't understand why Kyle's bad. Like, what? What's why are people mad at Kyle? Um, but then the episodes, in my opinion, did not do a great job of really explaining very well what happened with Kyle and why they were so upset with Kyle. Um, at least they didn't uh, do it to the degree that that I think would have been beneficial to helping understand the situation from from all angles. And so, uh, so at the end of the day, it's still it's just like you know it, it can be frustrating feeling like you know you guys have the the biggest voice in this whole community. And, uh, and, and for me, you know, I have a smaller voice in comparison to that. And so I end up having to rely on them to really like portray things close enough to accurate. Um, so that like when I'm explaining something, 
people will be able to understand it and um, and and you know sort of see what's happening because it's so hard to convey these complicated situations and um, and motivations without sort of support from the episode. Well, I definitely wanted to talk about the Kyle situation and what was shown versus what was on the live feeds. And you kind of brought it up yourself that you didn't think they did a good enough job. What did you feel like should have been shown more of? What conversation did they completely leave out? Because, again, I didn't follow the live feeds. And from what I saw on television, I thought his conversation with Monty and his conversation with Terrence did a good job at explaining it. And they gave their reasons as to why, hey, Kyle, this is problematic and why you thought this way, and here's why. So I thought they did a good job, but again, I didn't watch the live feed, so maybe there was even more that they didn't show. So what exactly were you referring to there? Yeah, I think the, the thing specifically that I was looking for the most was um, that uh, that in the, 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 the house meeting in the living room, mm-hmm. uh, this was talked about on the feeds that apparently Kyle had directly said, um, you know, yes, I... I I was denying it at first, but I need to admit this. My thoughts were based in race. Um, and that's something that they decided to leave out of the episodes. Um, and in addition to that, they kind of showed some of the other defenses that Kyle later stopped using himself. Uh, but like something, for instance, that was like, hey, well, Taylor said she didn't want to nominate uh, Jasmine because of her race. So that's part of what got me thinking this. Uh, when the reality is that he was actually saying those things prior to Taylor's HOA train, prior to her saying those things. Um, and so the, I think the overall picture that they gave was one that was a lot more sympathetic to where Kyle was coming from than reality uh, of the situation was. And, and I think more sympathetic than even Kyle himself would uh, portray the situation because he actually was very open about the mistakes that he made and um, was very much willing to, I think, accept blame that the episodes kind of shied away from, uh, from giving him as much of. Um, And, you know, they did show a couple of those conversations and I don't think they like completely dropped the ball. Obviously they showed a lot of these things. And I think that the people in the house in particular, those conversations with Monty, uh, he had a conversation with Taylor that was really excellent as well. They are, such like gracious people and really wanted to help him um, understand. Uh, and he seemed to be willing to uh, accept that, that help and seemed to be willing to try to understand. Um, and, and it, you know, I think that ultimately the frustration that a lot of people had with how it was portrayed is that they focused a lot on the rehabilitation angle after kind of skipping over the admission of guilt angle. Hmm. Um, and you sort of saw the response to that in the reaction to the episode where a lot of people who weren't paying attention to the feed seemed to have the opinion, and I think, and this seemed to be the one that they were trying to elicit this response uh, from, they seemed to have the opinion of he did nothing wrong. Why is he being punished for something when this is a perfectly reasonable uh, thought process? Um, and and that to me is an echo of the failure that they had in showing his admission of being wrong and explaining why it was wrong to to be there in the first place. Uh, and so that I think was one of the major frustration there. Yeah, I think the biggest thing for me when I was watching it was. 
obviously him immediately going to the race card and thinking that there was going to be a person of color alliance, yet <laughs> when he said that to, I believe it was Brittany that he was speaking to, Mm-hmm. He he says it, but then he doesn't provide any examples as to why he thinks those people are working together. And there was no evidence that they were working together. Taylor was up three times in the first four weeks. Terrence had been up three times. Like, I didn't know where he was coming with this. And that's why it made no sense. If he wants to think that a person of color of alliance is happening because there was one last season, okay. But you had no evidence that there was one happening this season. You were just like, "Oh, there was one last season, so we got, you know, we got to watch out for one this season." It was so backwards, and I didn't understand yeah. where that came from because nothing that we were watching on the show made anyone think at home, "Oh yeah, there's going to be another cookout this season." They were all going at each other. Terrence didn't even like Taylor. Like it was really bizarre. Mm-hmm. I didn't. Understand. Yeah, and and I think you know something else worth. Uh, exploring as well is is and this is something that can only and this is the value of the live feeds because it's something that can only come from watching the live feeds on a daily basis is that you i was able to watch kyle come up with these theories knowing that he's wrong knowing that monty is more loyal to him than even joseph at this point yeah uh knowing that taylor is more loyal to michael and Brittany than monty and joseph at this point um and knowing that kyle is in the best position in the game when he comes up with that theory, but because of that theory intentionally like cuts off some of his own limbs essentially to make the game more difficult for himself because he's worried about, uh, this imaginary, um, you know, uh, threat to his game. Um, and so what you eventually see is that he stops talking as much to Monty and, um, and he starts pushing, you know, the people that he wants to get in alliance together together, which, has the consequence of almost kind of creating the very thing he was worried about because that's when you started to see Monty and Joseph get closer. That's when you started to see Taylor and Joseph get closer because Kyle was no longer talking to Monty as much. Uh, He was no longer doing it. He was pulling Turner away. He was pulling Michael and Brittany away. Um, And you started to see the very things he was worried about start to come into fruition. And then Again, if the show doesn't cover it in real time and it waits until way later in order to show, oh, he was thinking these things, then by the time they show it, you might think, well, yeah, look, Monty and Joseph are working together. Look, Taylor and Joseph are working together. Uh, You don't really get the story, which is that, you know, yeah, but they weren't when he came up with these ideas. In some ways, they started to get closer because of the way that Kyle started uh, putting people into different groups. It really was an interesting thing. I'm glad it was covered, and I'm glad that Kyle took ownership of it, and I'm glad that they basically said, look, you know, we don't think you're a bad guy. Uh, we don't think you maliciously went after us, but your punishment for this should be mm-hmm. you're done. You know, And I'm glad they did that. I'm glad even if people want to sit here and debate, oh, it, you know, he should have stuck around or whatever, save him. Like, no. you got to have some sort of consequence for doing this, especially on that show, and I'm, I'm glad the consequence was, hey, man, we love you to death. Uh, you'll always be my boy. I, I'm hoping we can, we can talk about this after the show and all that. But for the time being, you need to go. And I'm glad that they came to that conclusion because it, it's what needed to be done. If he would have stuck around, I think that would have set a really bad precedent uh, for this because it just didn't look good at all. The whole the whole yeah. mess. And, you know, it kind of was like, you know, I heard it from people as well when I, you know, briefly cover Big Brother stuff in my end. Like, what did you do wrong? What's the big deal? And it's just like, 
you know, I, I don't even know how you sit there and have to even start explaining to somebody who says, what was the big deal of what Kyle did? It's almost like the same people that say that were the same people last year who were just screaming that the cookout was racist. It's like, what was racist mm-hmm. about the cookout? There was nothing racist about having an all-black alliance. If all six of those black people in that alliance said, let's target all the white people and get them out, then you could say it was racist. But that's not what their goal was. It was for themselves. And I, I, I just the fact that I even have to repeat this for, for people is still somewhat amazing. But the fact that people couldn't see that this wasn't a anti-white alliance, it was yeah. let's all stick together alliance for them. And I thought it was one of the greatest things I'd ever seen on reality competition television before. I thought it was groundbreaking. Yeah, it was amazing. And and it has, I think, in a lot of ways taken us to where we are now, where, you know, Kyle does this this season. And, you know, this is not something new. Like the, what Kyle, like Kyle has new vocabulary to express these fears that they might be a cookout 2.0. But these kinds of theories have existed over the entire 20 plus year course of history in Big Brother. Um, it is something that the black uh, players who have uh, played this game before have talked about a lot before, which is that if they are lucky enough to be uh, not the only black person in the house, there is usually an assumption that they are uh, working with the other black person in the house. Hmm. Um, and uh, and so um, usually when that happens, the people who create those theories and who take out the, the black people in the game because of those theories uh, or 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 similar theories um, that usually works out for them, and they go on and they they're successful in the game. But now, with uh, with more equitable casting and with the sort of precedent that the cookout has set, uh, Kyle has these theories, and they are the undoing of his game. Uh, they are no longer acceptable in what is a social game uh, of Big Brother. And um, the idea that this is somehow beyond the game or outside of the game is silly to me because this is what the game is. It's what makes it interesting is that it is a reflection of our society and it is a social game. And if the people in the game find that behavior unacceptable, then you are going to pay the price for it. Uh, And that's exactly what happened. And I think they have set that precedent that you can no longer have these kinds of, um, you know, theories and you can no longer act on these kinds of theories in the way that Kyle did without have facing repercussions in the game. Um, and that's something that you have to contend with if you're ever going to play this game from this point forward. You know, one thing that um, for me who hasn't followed the live feeds and, you know, even read about the live feeds this season was early on we had the Taylor bullying storyline that kind of made it to TV, but I don't think TV did it justice. After the fact, mm-hmm. I started reading a little bit, but I, even I don't have the full picture of what was being said about Taylor from, I think Paloma was the first one to start this. And, you know, people can sit and debate that Paloma was actually kicked off and not really, you know, removed from the game because of where her mental state was at. Who knows? I mean, I don't know if we're ever going to get the the true answer to that. Um, The fact that she wasn't in BB Comics at all makes me think that she's being excluded from this show and this cast, possibly. Um However, when you look back on that as someone who followed the live feeds, um, what what was not shown that probably should have been shown in regards to 
what was everyone's I, I still don't think I know to this day what everyone's problem with Taylor was outside of her being cold and kind of gravitating towards the men early on. What were some of the things that were being said about her and by who? It, it was it was a very dark sort of um, sort of case study of how these kinds of situations happen, and it wasn't unique to this season. Um, we don't usually have feeds in the first week of the game. It's a fairly new phenomena yeah. that uh, they've they've introduced. Um, and so, I mean, you talked about season 21, you know, that's a great example of a season where, uh, by the time the feeds kick in and, you know, the show starts, you know, showing these, uh, these, uh, episodes, uh, of what happened while the feeds were not on, um, there's already a couple of outcasts and, um, and they are being targeted, uh, and, you know, especially in season 21, it was often the people of color who were being targeted uh, early on. Yeah. And how the episodes portray it is, well, it was their own fault. They should have talked more or they should have done this or they should have done that. Um, and, you know, they're, they, if they were just better players, then they wouldn't be in this position. Um, and that felt very unfair especially when you start to hear from some of those people and they're like i did talk to these people i did do these things uh i just came in there and it it right out of the gate like uh that something was off um and we this season got to see exactly how that happened where literally the second taylor walked into that house uh the second the feeds turned on they were already uh making assumptions about her um, based on the fact that she was a pageant girl, um, based on the fact that uh, that she was black. Uh, there were multiple people in the game that were saying, wow, she's going she's gonna to pop off if you put her on the block. She is gonna, she's going to rage. She's going to make this house a living hell. Um, and that was one of the reasons that, uh, in fact, it was, in my opinion, the primary reason she was targeted in week one um, after the veto is that uh, the argument that seemed to, to make the most impact on Daniel was, well, this is going to be our best chance to just rip off the bandaid and get it over with. She'll be mad. She'll yell. She'll make the whole house uh, chaos, but it'll only be for a couple days because it'll be after the veto. Um, and of course, there's no reason to think that Taylor would be that kind of person. She is the complete opposite. She she got put up on the block and she cried and, and hugged Daniel uh, and said, uh, you know, what can I do better? Um, it was a, a wild misread that is, again, unfortunately, all too common for uh, especially, um, you know, the black players. Um, and so uh, that's one of the things that was happening. But then so once this perception is, starts to be spread that Taylor is this kind of person, this kind of player, um, Every little thing she does gets interpreted with the most amount of malice possible, right? Uh, like people encourage her to wear her finale dress. She's reluctant, but a, but sort of like, uh, you know, a gives in to the peer pressure. And then they all go, wow, the gall of this woman to put on her finale dress. Uh, and, um, and that's, you know, one of many examples of the kinds of things that she would do. There was another situation where she was talking about 
Um, you know, uh, I, Jasmine, uh, this was one of the big ones that Jasmine said that uh, she was called fat. You know, criticizing the modeling industry by saying, you know, unfortunately, like I'm not a size zero. So uh, like, I don't know if that would work out for me. Um, and Jasmine interpreted that as, wow, she's calling me fat. Uh, and that was, you know, once these little things, these little like sort of miscommunications, misinterpretations start piling up, everyone in the house starts thinking, yeah, Taylor's just a terrible person. She's just an awful person. She deserves to go home. Um, and, uh, and, and then they go from there. And again, just like from there, because you already think she's a terrible person, every little thing that she does is going to be interpreted as, wow, can you believe she did that now? Uh, it's getting even worse. Um, and so to sort of like chronicle in detail how that happens, I think would be a, a great way to spend, you know, an episode of like explaining like from start to finish how that happens, uh, I think is, is not only, you know, educational, but fascinating in a lot of ways, um, and would help tell Taylor's story properly where, you know, somebody wouldn't watch just the episodes and go, well, maybe she shouldn't have put that dress on. Uh, where it's like that the problem is not the dress, uh, but some people might not see that if they only watch the episode. Yeah, and it really is fascinating, and it, and it really is, you know, watching it as a viewer who wasn't following along on the live feeds, it is amazing, kind of, that she survived all those early yeah. nominations, and now she's basically built an underdog story to where she's in mm -hmm. the final five, and... So here we are. We're recording this Wednesday afternoon. So Wednesday's episode has not aired yet. This is You're going to be hearing this on Thursday. So we're recording this before Wednesday night's episode airs. So we will go over what happens and uh, what happened in last night's episode and Wednesday's episode. But to me, watching this season, we have, we have five people left, and there's two people who have zero chance of winning, and that's Alyssa and Brittany, in my eyes. They, can, they have no chance of winning this game unless – Unless they are the final two in Unless sitting there at the together. end against each other. Yeah. Now, <laughs> um, I think obviously this is uh, this. I could see Monty winning it. I could see Turner winning it. I could see Taylor winning. The only three that have a chance outside of Alyssa and Brittany sitting next to each other at the final two, which I don't think is going to happen. But um, I think you would have to mix and match to be like, okay, if Monty was sitting against Turner, I'll, I'll just ask you. Let's go over the scenarios here. In your opinion, mm -hmm. even though you know we still don't know what happens the rest of the game and who could possibly become a, you know, a comp beast and win and win out or, yeah. or something like that. But right now, if Monty and Turner are sitting in the final two, who do you think wins? I think it's Monty and I don't think it's close. And then what about Turner and Taylor? Uh, I, I think that Taylor uh, takes that one too. Yeah. Yeah. And then now what about a Monty Taylor final two, which got interesting in the last few days? Yes, uh, that one is definitely trickier. We went over that uh, on a recent podcast, and um, there are a lot of votes, I think, that are up for grabs. I would lean toward Monty winning, but uh, but only very slightly. I think there's a lot more we have to figure out in terms of like where the jury stands. Yeah, It's been interesting watching them come out of the house because a lot of people like Indy and Jasmine were very anti-Taylor in the house. But we're now seeing jury segments where they're like, all of a sudden, oh, I love Taylor. She's the best. I'm rooting for Taylor. So, 
it's it's tough to know how much to trust that and how much that will translate into a vote against somebody like Monty. But uh, it, that one's definitely going to be close, uh, hard to call. At least. Okay, so I didn't know until it, until you and I started uh, before we started recording. I asked you to fill me in on power of veto for this week, who won it and who was replaced. And uh, shockingly, Brittany won power of veto. I did, you know, I'm just like, wow, because she mm-hmm. was probably going home. I would think she was next if they targeted Michael last week. Trouble. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think Mon- Monty was looking at Alyssa as, uh, as a primary target, but he, he was definitely getting very annoyed with Brittany. Uh, and I easily could have seen Brittany leave. Yeah, for sure. Okay. So she wins power of veto. And then I ask you, well, who did Monty put up in her place? And you told me he put up Taylor. I'm like, wait a second. I just saw on TikTok they were making out on the live feeds. What did this happen before or after? And you told me this makeout happened before he put her up. It happened uh, right after he put her up, basically, the night after. Oh, it ha- okay. So it happened after. So, yeah. So now my question to you is as someone who's dialed into that side of things, do you think this is a game move by her? Not saying that she's using him or he's using her or anything cuz I saw the video and it seemed like, you know, he's into her whether it's just for a, you know, a showman said or whether or not they're going to continue anything post show, I guess we'll find out. But do you think this is a game move and they are now a duo that the rest of the house needs to watch out for? Uh, I don't think it's specifically a game move. This is something that uh, a lot of the people watching the feeds have been keeping an eye on. There, there's a there are uh, there's a faction of Big Brother fans that are the the shippers, right? Yeah. Uh, and so uh, the the Jailer fans, the Taylor and Joseph fans, have been the the sort of uh, preeminent shippers of the season. But there have been a subset of shipper fans that have been the Monte fans the Taylor and Monty fans, because there's been a little bit of chemistry there. Um, and uh, and so there there have been people who have been thinking he seems to have a little bit of a crush on her, uh, maybe feels like he missed his opportunity early in the season, but now she's maybe more into Joseph, so maybe it won't happen. Uh, but there was definitely some stuff brewing. I think that it mostly happened now because Monty has that HOH room to himself. They started staying up all night. Uh, and you know things just kind of escalated to uh, to to where they did. Um, I don't think either one of them is thinking like, oh, I'm going to do this because it will help me strategically. Although I do still feel like Taylor is willing to cut Monty in the end, and I think still plans to do so if she has the ability to. Monty, I'm not as sure. I don't know if uh, he is less likely to cut Taylor than he was before, but I was already thinking he was probably going to take Taylor over Turner anyway. Uh, if he had that option, this might just push him even more in that direction, but I can't be sure. So one of the things that was brought to my attention during the season, and it was your tweets, and it kind of led to this podcast coming about, was... I'm a big stats guy. I've always been a numbers guy. Mm-hmm. And um, when you put out, I, it was literally the day after I had just kind of rhetorically just kind of thrown out there, you know, not being a season one to season 24 watcher. I'm like, Michael's dominance this season has got to be up there with some of the best performances ever, right? Like this, I, I had no idea. I figured I knew it was a lot. I had even lost track of how many times he had won. I didn't, I wasn't, in my head, I didn't know the numbers. And then the very next day, 
you know, someone sent me your tweet and it was just like, hey, this guy answered your rhetorical question about, hey, he's going mm-hmm. for number six. Or I think your I think your tweet. Oh, that's what it was. Someone spoiled it for me by sending me your tweet about him winning the sixth <laughs> veto. So, but at that yeah. point, I was just like, okay, I'm fine with that because I'm 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 enjoying his dominance here. So, someone had sent me like Michael's sixth win is the most vetoes that's ever been won in a season before, which beat Janelle by one, yep. and his nine total wins was the most ever tied with Janelle, who also had nine. And I thought that that was like, wow, that was great. And then it was right after, uh, right before. You know, we knew it was happening. They had talked about it on the show. They had they had laid the groundwork. Whether or not they were going to go through with it was a different story. But there was talk of, hey, he can't pl- participate in the next HOH. If he doesn't win veto, he's gone. It's our only chance, seemingly, to get him out of here. He's going to win if he gets to the end, which he absolutely should have won if he got to the end with this type of dominance. However, he didn't, and Monty pulled the plug, and they got him out, and it's a great game move, but in my estimation, Michael was the best player this season. Um, I'm not going to say whoever wins doesn't deserve it, but is it tough or is it? Have there been other seasons like this where somebody was a comp beast and really dominated those challenges, yet didn't end up winning because they they lost a certain challenge towards the end? And the same scenario happened where the, the house was like, look, we got to get them out now or else they're going to win in the end. Has there been anything similar to this in past seasons? I mean, uh, just look, look at the inspiration for Michael uh, herself, Janelle, uh, when she won nine competitions. Uh, she she failed to win the final three HOH um, and came just short uh, and was not able to, uh, to take home the win. Um, and, that, and that's kind of the interesting thing that, uh, you know, both Janelle and now Michael both tied for the most amount of wins in a single season. Um, both did not actually win the game. Um, you know, when you win that much, you've got to keep winning or they will get you. Yeah. Uh, and that is what happened here. I, I, I also was like very interested in the stat tracking. Um, I'm always like every season, every time somebody comes close to Janelle's record, I've, I'm like, oh, well, if they win this competition here and then this one here, they might tie Janelle. And so the fact that it finally happened after, you know, 16 years uh, was very exciting. Um, very wild stat as well that, you know, he had played in 14 competitions and won nine of them. Janelle had the exact same win ratio. She lost her 15th competition. Michael also lost his 15th competition and that 15th competition for both of them was their last. Uh, and Crazy. so they ended up with the exact same win percentage overall, uh, which is which is totally wild. Um, and I, and a I couple s- of other interesting things. I, okay. I was going to say, I saw that, and I was like, I don't even remember him losing five times. Like, I, I saw nine for 14. Well, I'm like, really? He lost five times? I certainly don't remember those. I, it, but clearly he did. Mostly competitions, yeah. and most of them he threw, which is which is also interesting, right? Yeah, that's right. Um, so one of the and, and here's why I will say and, and this might, uh, you know, uh, rustle some feathers. Uh, but um, the uh, I, I think that there's definitely a case to be made that he is, even though he has tied Janelle, there's definitely a case to be made that he is perhaps the best competitor ever. Um, one of the competitions that he lost, he intentionally threw. It was the veto competition uh, where they split the house. Um, and they were counting things that would stay in, stay or fold, right? Um, somebody did the math on his uh, answers 
And he folded to throw the competition intentionally. He didn't want to actually win it. He actually even intentionally guessed extra wrong uh, for one of the questions so that he didn't come off as much of a threat. Um, even with his intentional extra wrong guess, in the history of the show, he had the closest overall guesses to anybody that's ever played the competition. If you account for the fact that his, his actual answer for the one he intentionally threw off uh, was like one away, then he is by a large margin, the best performer in that competition of all time. And that's one that he didn't even win. It's one that he didn't, doesn't even count as one of his wins <laughs> for those nine wins. Um, and in addition to that, for BB Comics, uh, he also has the best time of anybody that has ever competed in the competition, even accounting for the fact that they had one less uh, comic because Paloma's comic wasn't there. Uh, he still has the fastest time by, I believe, over a minute. Um, uh, over anybody else that's competed in the competition before. So not only is he winning a bunch of competitions in this particular cast, but his times and his scores are outperforming everybody else that's ever played. Uh, so absolutely dominant performance by by Michael in in this season. Uh, but at the end of the day, the you know Big Brother is more than just the competitions, and uh, and you know. It, it, he wasn't able to uh, to keep up quite enough uh, on those other fronts, um, and he wasn't able to win when he needed to. Uh, and and that's that's it. That's sometimes how it happens. Yeah, and that was one thing that I had mentioned as well. I was like, look, not only is he winning, he's dominating. You look at you look at comics. I didn't know what the record was for BB Comics, but I just saw who he beat in that particular competition, and he beat everybody by five minutes at the mo at the at the at the least was five minutes better than everybody else. The the one before that, I can't remember who. I think it was the power of veto with the puzzle. He was. Everyone said, you know, I look the, over yeah, the HOH. Yeah, yeah. I look over at Michael and his puzzle's almost done, and I've got like two pieces done. Like it was, it yeah. was, it was one thing to win a bunch of comps. It's another thing to dominate them, and that's what he was doing. And is is there true? I know he's a super fan, and he he has said that from the very beginning. Um, is there truth to the rumors? And maybe you're hearing stuff behind the scenes that he was. You know, he knowing the show was definitely practicing some of these before he went on. Like he practiced a BB comic one. I gotta believe he did, uh, getting that that slow of a time and or fast of a time, I guess. Um, and that that this guy was that hell bent on just blowing doors on the show that he was practicing some of the comps that he knew were coming. Uh, I, I would have reason to believe that that's probably true to a degree. Yeah. Um, I think that the real inspiration for this is uh, Kevin Martin from Big Brother Canada, um, who is the first and still only person in the history of Big Brother to actually win out from as early as the final eight. He just couldn't be evicted because he kept winning. Um, and uh, And he famously had a binder full of uh, all of the competitions that had ever been played on the show um, and tried to figure out like the trick to each one of them. He spent all of his time studying in the game uh, and he, they just could not beat him. Um, and, uh, and so um, Michael, I think it was uh, definitely aware of Kevin Martin. Uh, Michael also made uh, his own sort of binder, I believe of uh, <laughs> big brother stats and stuff like that. Um, he also referenced this uh, with Brittany. They they both had watched uh, a video by uh, Peridium, who's a friend of mine, a YouTuber who uh, does Big Brother videos, um, who made videos about different competition hacks, different competition like tips and tricks, essentially. 
Um, and in, in those videos, he mentions, of course, Kevin Martin. Um, but he also mentions some of the other times, like, for instance, with Otev, uh, it's a good strategy to hoard your pieces um, into like a big a big pile so that you know where a piece is when the next clue comes. You can just go straight to your pile, look for the one that you need, and then go right back instead of just immediately running back the second you find the right answer. Uh, Michael knew that strategy, and it's one of the reasons why he was able to win that competition. Um, so, uh, yeah, a little bit of pre- even just a little bit of prep, I think, can go a long way. Uh, if Michael put in more than just a little bit of prep, which it's likely he did, then uh, that definitely adds to it for sure. Yeah, it just a a fascinating run by him, and he's got to be seen, I guess, with Janelle as I guess the top two players to have never won. But if there's another All Star season, he's got to be on it. Yeah, you can't not put him on it. Um, now the other thing with Michael that you know r- refers back to the Kyle situation was. This notion of you know him waiting uh, until it benefited him to for him and Brittany to share what Kyle had had said to them in regards to the person of color alliance. Um, mm-hmm. What did you make of his explanation that he didn't come forward with the info about Kyle until he one processed everything and two didn't want to do it during uh, the Brochella and Dyerfest because Kyle wasn't on his team for him to address it himself and he wanted to do it while they were face-to-face. What was your whole take on that? Yeah, I think that specific explanation didn't really ring true to me. Uh, having watched him, you know, handle the situation when it was first brought up and, ha- you know, having heard his conversations with Brittany about should we tell them during Brochella, um I do think there's reason to believe that uh, when the concept was initially brought up to him, that he did recoil a little bit, but he certainly didn't push back very much uh, on Kyle. And I think there were a couple of opportunities where Kyle even asked him, like, am I totally off on this? And uh, he was like, no, I don't think so. Not necessarily. Um, Even though he did at other times push back, uh, especially on the idea that that Taylor would be working with, say, Monty. Um, but, uh, yeah, so that particular explanation, I don't think, uh, rang especially true. Uh, I think he also was very clearly upset when Kyle, uh, when Turner, uh, nominated Brittany and, um, uh, and, and Taylor, uh, knowing that the intention was to take him out, uh, and knowing that Kyle was behind it. And, uh, I think there was definitely an element of like, you know, well, if you're going to take me down, I'm going to take you down with me. Um, that said, you know, I don't want to speak for Michael entirely. I think that he has um, since had better explanations. And I think that, you know, when I when we did our in, in, in exit interview with him, uh, his answer to the question that we gave him about the situation was essentially, yes, uh, you know, I, I do think that I I did not handle it the way that I should have. And I'm sure that uh, you know, I have some things to answer for in regard to that. Uh, so I, I think that, you know, I think part of it is that his explanation in the moment was uh, a little more game focused than truth focused. Uh, and it may have also been a little bit of what Kyle was doing initially, which is uh, just a little bit of like denial, a little bit of like, uh, no, that wasn't, it, what is one, wasn't how it was. Um, I, I'm curious to know exactly how Michael will respond to the criticism once he gets out of the house, uh, out of the jury, and can sort of like uh, actually speak on it, 
but um, but yeah, in terms of that initial explanation, wasn't really something that uh, that rang true for me. Do you think he's going to win AFP? I don't think so. Mm. Um, I think that uh, especially when we talk about the edit of the Kyle situation, I think that um, while they were pretty light, I think on Kyle in general. Uh, I think they were pretty hard on Michael. Uh, They really seemed to lean into the villain kind of like, uh, look at Michael doing this to Kyle. Um, And I think there are a lot of people out there that are more upset with Michael than even Kyle, uh, (laughs) based on the edit at the very least. Um, I think that maybe he would have had a chance otherwise, but I I do think that uh, I think that Taylor is probably the uh the favorite uh for america's favorite uh player at this point yeah i i why i don't know why i just blanked on taylor but yeah it seems like she's going to be because she's you know she's got the underdog story and she might mm-hmm. um and here's here's my here's my lack of knowledge in regards to the show can you win the show and win afp or no that's that's the age-old question. Uh, a lot of people wonder that. I believe Allison Grodner has said in the past that it is possible, uh, but for it's never a long happened. time it was believed to be impossible because it, no, it has never happened. Mm. Um, and there were there have been a few times where people thought that for sure it would have happened if not for the person winning. Um, so you know, it's it, it, I think I think if I had to give you an answer, I would say yes, it's possible, but. It hasn't happened before, uh, so I would say it's uh, not not super likely for whatever reason. What has been the breakdown of, I mean, you don't have to go over every season, but off the top of your head of the previous 23 winners, what's been the breakdown of this is the person who should have won the show versus eh, bitter jury, you know, whatever the case may be, shouldn't have won, but you know something happened. Has it been more or less the winners of the show have been the deserving ones or no? Because I, you know, we can do that same thing with with Survivor versus, you know, who's deserving versus um, who the jury just was less pissed at. Um, but yeah, mm-hmm. w- w- how has it been with this show? You know, it, it's it's always a tricky uh, question to answer because you know you kind of have to dive into like what does it really mean to be deserving. Um, but, uh, but in terms of like, you know, who was the mover and shaker of the game, who maybe played the the best game or, or seemed to be the best player. Uh, I would say that, um, I would say that in big brother, maybe I, I, I honestly, I think that more often than survivor, the, like a very good player will win, but there are more examples of very bad players winning big brother than in survivor. I think it tends to lean toward the extreme, mm. like a very good player on big brother is more likely to be able to really just control the entire action of the game, uh, because the skill ceiling is higher for big brother. Uh, but then at the same time, there's so much more extra like randomness with the twists and all of that in big brother that, uh, you know, a really good player can run the season and then slip up at the end or, you know, the jury can feel a certain way. And then you end up with a player that like was not very good at the game. And, uh, and you know it too, because unlike survivor where like maybe a a player that wasn't like the best game player can still get a pretty good edit. Uh, you know, you've seen on the feeds like every step of the way, their decision making process, their social game and 
you can sort of understand like, oh, maybe they weren't the best uh, player, maybe not the best representation of the season. But, yeah. but at the end of the day, you know, uh, to get to the end and to get those votes, of course, um, it takes its own journey. And, uh, and and I think everybody is deserving in their own way. Um, but uh, but yeah, I would say um, I would say, yeah, just more extreme in terms of like, yeah, there are very, very deserving winners. And then uh, like like they played really hard and they controlled the whole season. And then you get uh, sometimes you get like then uh, that person was next to the person that controlled the season <laughs> and they won. Uh, so, um, yeah. Speaking of twists, did you like Festy Bestie and the Brochella Dire Fest twist this season or no? I I really dislike the Festy Bestie twist. Um, mostly because my issue with Big Brother Twist in general is that they tend to they tend to be advertised as like game changers. Like yeah. it's going to shake up the game. It's going to make it interesting. It's going to break up the big alliances. Uh, but then like they don't ever really fully think them through. And the end result is almost always that the big alliance games the twist and it only makes them stick together and have even more power. Uh, and the Festy Bestie twist was seemingly designed specifically to allow a big alliance to just steamroll the season. Um, and it, it very nearly did, right? Uh, the uh, the Pose Pack Alliance, um, if, if Turner hadn't won that HOH, if Amira had won it instead who, and she came in second place, uh, the Pose Pack Alliance knew immediately when the twist was announced, all we need to do is get into... Um, bestie pairs uh, that have one person who's not in the alliance and then we'll always have the numbers to vote that person out. Um, and if she had been in charge, if she had been HOH, I think that she would have taken out somebody outside of the alliance and um, and that alliance probably would have just stuck together for the remainder of the time. Luckily, Turner wins that HOH. Luckily, Alyssa rats out old school to Kyle and he decides he wants to rebel uh, and they create the leftovers, and it's a very popular alliance. And even though the leftovers then use the Festy Bestie twist to steamroll the rest of the the way to the end of the Festy Bestie twist, people were okay with it because they liked the leftovers. But at the end of the day, it's a very risky, I think, twist to implement. Where you know, if this had been you know the Grateful Alliance in season twenty one, or uh, you know uh, any any other alliance that the fans are usually just like, stop, somebody get the underdogs to to, to help. Uh, it would it could have been absolutely disastrous, and it's very emblematic of the kinds of twists that they often implement, which uh, is very frustrating for me. Um, in terms of the Direfest uh, Brochella thing, I think there was promise there. I think that actually does have some. Uh, it's because it's very similar to a Survivor twist, where they take you know uh, a tribe swap, or even just like take a merged tribe and put them into two different groups. Um, and we've seen that that can be very effective. And I think it was in sort of breaking up the status quo to a degree. Um, I think the execution was a little off, though. Allowing Michael to choose the teams really uh, allowed him to set things up in a way that he wanted. Um, and uh, and I think that if they had been random teams, it could have led to more interesting outcomes. And then, of course, the fact that they were outside um, led to uh, wall yellers, which shut the feeds down for uh, almost the entire week. And it, it just was a very messy execution of a, what, a twist that I think did have some promise. That's right. I heard about that, that uh, people were yelling over the wall that don't trust Kyle. Is that what they were saying? The bi- yep. the biggest thing? Okay. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, we have reason to believe that the that the, the the truth of the situation that was was not included in the edit, but that the real reason why Terrence used the veto on Turner and put up Kyle was because of the Wall Yeller. Hmm. Uh, they just didn't want to show that. Yeah, yeah, and and some I know it happens every season. This is you know that, that what I was told in the times that they are outside, there are Wall Yellers, and you know I didn't know this until I. Uh, started dating cat. I had no idea what a wall yeller was. I didn't know this was a, a thing on this show, but um, the show will never address wall yellers, correct? Or have they? They will do everything in their power to avoid addressing them. Yeah. Because the second, the second a wall yeller actually makes enough of an impact on the game to change the, the outcome of a situation is, is the, is the day that they open up Pandora's box. Right. Yeah. Um, like even if the wall yeller did impact Terrence's nomination of a renomination at the end of the day, Joseph did still leave. It didn't change anything overall. Uh, and so they kind of got lucky there. Um, but, uh, but yeah, the, the second, you know, it, it actually works and they have to show that it worked. That's when they're inviting everybody and their mother to uh, head up to the studio and start yelling over the wall because they want to have their shot at influencing the game. And that's that's the nightmare for them. I was going to say, how is this even being done? Because I know this, obviously, this Big Brothers is on the CBS lot, but this is literally over a wall where I was like, isn't there security there? It's not like somebody's just riding by on a bike saying, you know, don't trust Kyle or whatever. It, it's literally the other side of the wall is a residential area or something like, how is this even getting, yeah, haven't they, can they move like their that, studio? Yeah. <laughs> like, this yeah, shouldn't even be a thing. I mean, like, uh, yeah, I, it's, uh, I, 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 we probably shouldn't, uh, describe exactly, you know, where to go to make it happen. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, there's, there's, uh, there are areas around the, the studio that, um, that are vulnerable to, uh, people being able to just go up there. And then these people are like disrupting, you know, poor uh, residential homes. <laughs> like, uh, like uh, I'm sure they they don't love it there. Um, but uh, but yeah, there there are some vulnerabilities in the uh, in the in the security. Um, okay, just want to wrap it up uh, with this. Do you know the television schedule for the rest of the season so far? Because it's not your your normal Wednesday, Thursday, Sunday. There's some. I, I pulled it up. I can I can go over it, but if you know it off the top of your head, by all means, lay out the I rest believe, of the season's television schedule for us. Yeah. So so if this is uh, air, if this is dropping tomorrow, then we'll have uh, the episode Thursday night, uh, tomorrow night, um, which which would be tonight for tonight. those listening. Yeah. Um, uh, and then I think the next episode will be Sunday uh, as normal. Uh, then oh, wait, I think wait. we're skipping. Wait. Um, oh, go ahead. Sunday is. The show's going to air at um, 30 minutes later because right. of football. So yeah, eight, there is a Sunday show, but yeah, it's going to air 30 minutes later. Eastern. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Uh, and then I think we're skipping the Wednesday episode. We're getting a Thursday episode and a Friday episode. Yeah. Uh, and the finale is the following Sunday. Sunday, yeah. There's no next Thursday episode, be- uh, I mean, next Wednesday episode, the 21st, because that's the two-hour Survivor premiere. So that is out. Right. And then Thursday night, special episode will air Friday, September 23rd, and the two-hour finale on Sunday night. And I guess the finales are usually on Wednesday on this show? I didn't know enough about the Yeah, finales. usually. Usually they're Wednesday. In fact, a lot of times it, it's the same night as the Survivor premiere. It goes, you know, Big Brother premiere or Big Brother finale into Survivor premiere or vice versa. 
Um, but uh, yeah, for whatever reason, this season they're uh, they're doing, I, maybe because of the amazing race is also premiering, so yeah. uh, they couldn't couldn't fit Big Brother in. Well, it's been an interesting season. I really am curious to see who wins this. I mean, based on what you said, you really think it's only between two people, that Monty and Taylor are probably the only two that could win this thing. I thought maybe Turner had a chance because it's not like he has not done well in comps. I think he's won two. I know he's won at least two. Has he won three HOHs or two? Three HOHs, okay. um, and uh, and I think that uh, I think that Turner can win. I think I think he just needs to take either Alyssa or Brittany. Yeah. The problem right now is that I don't think he intends to do so. Um, so uh, I think his downfall, if if he ends up losing to Monty or Taylor, is that um, he 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 did not take his fate into his own hands and uh, make sure he took somebody that he could beat. Yeah. So it's almost like his loyalty to those two is probably going to end up costing him. Uh... Uh, his game, yeah, um, yeah, a Colby, so, so so to speak, Colby taking team. Yeah, 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 maybe. Um, but or yeah, even or even just even just like Kylan last year, right? Yeah, yeah. no, very true. Um, I really think that you know it's going to be interesting. I I would, you know, knowing now that Monty and Taylor kind of have a little thing going after their makeout session, it would be very interesting to see if he's wants to bring her to the end. You think that she's going to cut him and have no problem doing it, which would be a really ballsy move. And I think it would probably, if, if she's sitting in the finals against anybody, but Monty, I think she wins. If she's sitting against Turner, Alyssa or Brittany, Taylor wins. Monty's the one that, yeah. you know, like you said, I think it'll be, it'll be pretty close. I, I mean, it's, it really is tough to predict now and people going into the jury house and sharing their stories. Um, I did not see Sunday's episode. Have we seen Terrence claiming to go scorched earth when he went into the jury house and tell everybody everything, or have we not seen that yet? We haven't seen it yet. Um, Probably if we're going to see it, we might see it this Thursday. If not, it would have to be next Thursday. Okay. Yeah. Um, It's usually on a Thursday. Usually Julie introduces the jury segment, but not always. Gotcha. Okay. Well, Taryn, thank you for coming on. Great first experience with you. I'd love to have you on again uh, next summer because I love talking to people who know more about this show than I do. I love learning more about it, its history, um, how things are handled. And, you know, before this season, I was a live feed guy, not watching. I mean, I'd, I'd turn it on here and there. And then I'm just like, okay, I got to shut this off or else I literally will be watching for the next six hours. Like, So I <laughs> yeah. would just go to, you know, I'd go to Joker's Updates or BB Daily, whatever it was, and um, follow and just be like, okay, what happened? Let me get updated. And I, would, and I wouldn't care about knowing who won HOH, knowing who won Power Veto, knowing who got put up. This season, I was just like, I don't want to do it. I just want to. I just want to watch the CBS show, and then all this shit breaks. Like literally in the first few days, that like, oh my god, Taylor's getting bullied. It's fucking awful. I'm like, oh Jesus, like what am I missing here? And um, but I pretty much stayed clear. Um, now down to five. I don't think I would care as much if I if I did find out who wins who wins competitions, uh, and um, so I probably will. But. I've done a good job all season not following live feeds and uh but maybe next season, you know, I'll get into it. I don't know. But uh again, really appreciate you coming on. Um would love to have you on again next summer, um, if we can do that. Yeah, thanks for having me. You know, that's and that's the the, the beauty of Big Brother. It's it's kind of like a choose your own adventure. You get to sort of like uh pick your level of involvement. Yeah. Uh, I know a lot of people uh do just tune into uh like the the live feed updates that I do. Like they're like, Oh, that's how I consume 
the show or they follow, just follow it on Twitter or they watch it themselves and they're deeply invested or they only watch the episodes or they only watch the feeds and don't watch the episodes. Like uh, there's really so many different uh, ways that you can uh, do it. So yeah, no, I no mean, right, no right answer. Yeah, there, there really isn't. And I just, and this season I've enjoyed just as much by not following as I did on the seasons where I did follow. So it's like, I don't really know what my strategy will be come, <laughs> uh, uh, come next summer, but um I do. I do enjoy the show. I've just always enjoyed shows where you have to, you know, kind of lie and deceive people and vote them out when ultimately they're going to be ending up deciding your fate. I've always found that to be a great social experiment and to see who who does it best, because it's literally impossible, I think, on a show like this to not lie, especially when the two people that are on the block, I'm guessing from Monday through Thursday are going around the house saying, is it me? Is it going to be me? I and if you know you're voting for that person, at some point you're going to lie. It's just impossible not to. So it's just like, who can lie the best is essentially what this what this show turns into yeah. to where you don't piss them off enough, you know. So, um, but yeah, thanks again, uh, Taryn. I really appreciate it, and uh, good luck. We'll keep in touch. All right, thank you. You got it. Thanks so much to Taryn uh, for that conversation. Really enjoyed that. I. I've really gotten into Big Brother, and I know a lot of you are going to say, "Steve, you got to go back and watch this season. You got to go back and watch this season." The answer is no, because I know these seasons are fifty episodes long. I'm not. I can barely go back and watch a Netflix show that has eight episodes. Um, I'm not going back and watching a previous season of Big Brother where I have to sit through fifty episodes and that announcer and stupid Otev. Just no. Um, I will continue my big brother fandom just with the knowledge of season 21 on and all three seasons of the celebrity version. And I'll, I'll be good with that. But, uh, thank you to Taryn for coming on. He was great. Um, love talking to people who know way more about the show than I do. It's a lot of fun to learn and to hear the perspectives of somebody who literally knows everything that happened this season on CBS and on the live feeds. So, Thanks again to Taryn for that. Uh, I really appreciate you all listening. Uh, please rate, subscribe, and review an Apple Podcasts. It is much appreciated. Today, obviously, a big day in Bachelor Nation, or yesterday was, in regards to all the stuff going on. And uh, this is going to be an interesting next, what, five days until Tuesday's finale because seeing Eric and Tino speak live for the first time is basically what we're all waiting for at this point. Like they need, we need to hear from them. Uh, we already heard from Eric in his apology and in regards to his blackface photo from high school. But now with the ex-girlfriend coming forward uh, and releasing a giant statement about their relationship, obviously he's got to address it. Um, I, I, I have no idea. I have no idea how this, how this is going to, play out Tino stuff as well. Like what led to that breakup? I mean, so much stuff and good thing. There's only five days left before we hear about this because my God, if this went on another two or three weeks, people would go start going crazy. So um, glad we get that in a few days, but again, thank you all for listening. I really appreciate it. Thanks again to Taryn Armstrong for Taryn. I'm reality, Steve. Thank you for tuning in and we will talk to you next week. See you.